Hello, and welcome to Introducing Me. I'm your host, Sarah. I started this podcast to get to know other people and lifestyles while discovering more about myself. Each episode, I will give a new guest a chance to discuss their background, culture, interests, or whatever they want to talk about to help increase all of our own worldviews. Today, I would like to introduce you to Mark Chartier. He grew up with Tourette's syndrome and as an adult sustained a brain injury. And despite these challenges that he has overcome, he has succeeded in school, earned two masters, and he makes an impact as a special education teacher. He is known as Mr. C to his students. So I'm excited to have Mark here sharing about his life and what he's got going on. He's also an author, so he's going to read some excerpts and poems from his book, um, which also shares more on his story. So thank you so much, Mark, for being here today. Why don't you go ahead and tell the audience a little bit more about yourself? Well, um, thank you for having me. Um, so I, uh, I'm a special education teacher, and I'm also um, a motivational speaker and an author. Um, I, um, I, I've been teaching special education for over 15 years. Um, and throughout that journey, I, I, um, I was coached and urged to share my message of perseverance and triumph and overcoming disabilities. And, and that kind of evolved into me becoming a public speaker where I've given keynote speeches in Denver and Alaska and, um, speeches in Colorado Springs and, and also around my, um, the, also around the city that I live in, which is Pueblo West, Colorado, in Southern Colorado. And so um, I speak about the power of positive relationships and overcoming disabilities. Um, growing up with Tourette syndrome, uh, my story is quite, quite interesting, I think. Um, I started developing symptoms at age seven, but I wasn't diagnosed until I was nearly 18. So I went throughout through all of public school uh, without a diagnosis, and yet I was doing these bizarre symptoms along with some significant behaviors that I had at the time, uh, such as fighting, vandalism, stealing. Um, I got in a, a tough situation with a, a teacher where I was accused of taking a swing at him. Um, just, just had a real rough time in school um, with with um, not only being bullied, but also being the bully. So I was kind of both. I was the bully and I was bullied. Um, and in addition to that, um, my parents separated when I was seven years old. And I actually um, had my first symptom when I was in the backseat of, my, uh, of the car of, of my mother, uh, who was schizophrenic and was going through a real hard time with the divorce from my father and just kind of kind of not in a good place mentally she like she was just kind of taking me on on day trips all across New York state and Montreal Canada and as a result i i i started i started this tick where i took this spiral notebook and i strummed it across my lips until my lips blistered and bled. Um, that That's the first tick I remember ever ha having. Um, I actually wrote a poem about that that's in my upcoming book um, about that situation. Um, and um, shortly after that, my dad uh, got custody of me and he raised me and my brother um, from the, then on. Uh, as a single father, my my mother wasn't in in the picture hardly at all. I mean, I, I, I might have heard from her maybe six times over the next 10 years or so, S something around that. Um, and so my dad was a great dad in the fact that he stepped up to the plate and raised two, two boys, uh, one of which was very difficult, that being me. Um, but in addition to that, he was also abusive, uh, verbally and physically. And so, um, I would go to school and I had these behaviors because I was getting pushed around at home and my outlet was going to school and fighting. Um, cause I, I, I very much externalized the, these, 
the 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 situation that I was dealing with at home. Um, you know, in hindsight, like I know he did the best he could, and it wasn't easy being a single father, uh, especially to a kid like me. Um, so I, I I've learned to forgive him for some of the things that have happened. Um, not that I've forgotten or that it was easy to get over, but um, there's a lot of poems in my new book, um, which is called Tell Me Something Good, which I'll, I'm sure I'll get in more into the depths of the, the, the inspiration for that title later. But um, there's a lot of poems in, in, that, in my upcoming book about my relationship with my father. And not just the abusive side, but the forgiving side the reconciliation side, the side of him being a savior for me um, when I was a little kid and I was almost four years old and I hadn't spoken yet. And yet he was um, at that point in time still married to my mother and just really, you know, kind of urging her to interact with me because as, as young kids, we learn to speak by being spoken to. Right. I mean, that's, that's, we, we learn our output from our input. And so uh, there's a poem in there in, in, in my new book about him talking to my mother and just talking about the things that they had been through and basically urging her to get out of bed and talk to me. Um, so I know I'm kind of rambling on here. There, there, there's definitely a lot. Um, but anyways, um, once I graduated from high school, I graduated with a 1.9, which is not a very good GPA. Um, I uh, um, went along the ways. I, I moved from New York to Colorado Springs, and then I finished out high school in Colorado Springs. And as I graduated, they they the 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 school met on me because uh, they finally had learned that I had had Tourette's. Um, and they said, well, he's done pretty well since he, he, even without accommodations and support that he would have qualified for. And so um, pretty well being a 1.9. But I, um, I ended up kind of floundering for a couple of years. Um, I was in a, a really toxic relationship. Um, and I, I was looking for a way out, looking for a new path. And so at the behest of my stepmother, um, I applied to the University of Southern Colorado, which is now, uh, which is now Colorado State University Pueblo. And I was in, I, at first I was actually denied, denied admittance um, and admission. And um, I called them and said, hey, uh, I, I'm really excited and want to go to your school. Um, is there any way I can get you to reconsider? And they wrote me back and said, well, take the ACT again and we'll see if that will help. And so I took the ACT again, got a high enough score where I was admitted on probationary status. Um, so basically I got in through the skin of my teeth and, um, and, and, and from then, uh, even though it took me a while, I was struggling with my sleep. I was struggling with my medications, uh, some depression, but I still made the most out of the opportunity. Um, along the way, I sustained a brain injury at a restaurant um, from some oven cleaner that I had been exposed to. And I began to stutter significantly, uh, which still impacts me a little bit today from time to time, but not as significantly as it did back um, from 2000 to about 2008. Um, and so I, uh, I, I was nearing my, the completion of my bachelor's degree and I, I thought about going to grad school and, and what, um, kind of, kind of figuring out what I really wanted to do because my stuttering was still bad and I wasn't ready to get a job or a career job at that point in time. So I thought about the people that made the most, in, the, the biggest impact in my life, and that was teachers and educators because uh, it wasn't just teachers, it was educators in general. 
Um, so I decided to go and get a master's degree in special education. And shortly after that, um, I got my first teaching job as a special ed teacher and I fell madly in love with it and, and knew right then and there that that was what I was meant to do in this world. So you shared that, you know, because of your late diagnosis, you didn't have any accommodations up through high school, <clears throat> but you did graduate college. You did go on for, you know, the master's. Did you have accommodations in college that made it so you, you know, survived your pro probationary period? Yes, um, that's a great question. So, um, so one of the things that I tell parents when, um, when I'm, as a matter of fact, I told a parent this a couple of weeks ago, I actually exited a kid off of an IEP and uh, he's, because he still had a diagnosis of ADHD, what I recommended was that we transition him to a 504 plan. And, and what a lot of people don't understand is, is that a 504 plan is in some ways better, superior to an IEP because it follows you after high school. A 504 can follow you in college. It can follow you in the workplace uh, through the Vocational Re Re Rehabilitation Act of, I think it's 1972 or 73. Uh, the 504 plan stays with you and, and, and legally grants you accommodations. And so when I went to college, I did get accommodations. I was able to take tests in a distract-free environment, which was huge for me because even though I was intelligent um, and I was capable, my tics would often um, increase in tense situations. And of course, being in a classroom with 20, 25 other college kids, um, when I would twist and turn my neck, which is probably 75% of my tics, uh, that that would that would distract not only me but it would distract other kids and of course when other when other students would notice that it would impact it, it, it would just perpetuate my nervousness and so I was able to get extended time I was able to get a distract free testing environment and I would say those those things helped me tremendously and can you share a little bit about what sort of ticks you've had and kind of what, you know, what it's been like living with them and, you know, like, have you overcome some, like, can you share a little bit more about just kind of like what that is like in general? Sure. Sure. So I told you about my first tick after that, they metamorphosed more into eye blinking, like excessive eye blinking. And then when I was in fifth grade, I remember I used to bark in class, which was very noticeable and probably very bizarre to a lot of people that were in that class with me. Um, and around that same time in fifth grade, I, I had a lot of head ticks with, with my head and neck. And so I had this one where I would snap my neck side to side and the kids actually named them and started paying me to do these things. So the side to side with my head was called the twister and they would pay me a nickel to do that. Then I had one where I kind of did a circular motion with my head and they called that one around the world and they paid me a dime to do that. And then I kind of had a synthesis of the two where I just jerked my head in every direction, which way but loose. And they called that the works and they paid me a quarter for that. And I tell you, um, sometimes I think I should, I, I should have kept charging because with inflation, I feel like I'd be doing pretty well right about now. Um, so, uh, yeah. And then, and then they kind of waxed and waned. They kind of came and went, um, through grade school, through elementary school and middle school. Um, sometimes they would be noises or beeps or eeps or little grunts and stuff like that. And, um, when I turned 15 and moved to Colorado, um, they definitely, uh, increased tremendously. And I don't know if that's because I was unhappy about moving to Colorado and it was just an emotional time for me, or maybe I was going through puberty or, I, I, I mean, who knows, who, who knows what, 
what why they increased. But I know when I when I turned fifteen and moved to Colorado, they became very very apparent, very present, and um, and the thing with Tourette's is some of these ticks. Like there are times where I might have a tick for six months and then it changes or I do a replacement behavior. I have had some very bizarre ticks over the last 15, 20 years that have involved, unfortunately, self-abuse. I've had ticks where I've uh, where I've pulled on fingers in my hand and pulled them out of socket. And um, as a result, I ended up rupturing tenons in my knuckles as a result. Um, I've had takes where I punch myself, where I scratch my eyes. Uh, one time I had this tick where I was shaving and I actually felt an urge to lick my razor. And I, w- I was able to do it somehow without cutting my tongue. Uh, don't ask me how. I've never had a tick like that before. But uh, that was one tick that I was able to satiate the urge and yet not cut myself. Um Sometimes I have interactive tics where uh, one time I, I headbutted a friend of mine, not super hard, but and he, and he was just such a good sport about it. He's he's one of my best friends, and um, so I have I have a a, a, a wide spectrum of different tics. Uh, right now, most of mine include um, my neck, which has kind of been a constant, and then also like uh, pushing in my kneecaps, which kind of hyperextends my legs. Um, those are probably my most common ticks. A lot of times I also drag my feet. Um, and then I also do things with my eyes where I like um, kind of flip my eyelid inside out. So um, as far as overcoming them, the neck ticks have been a, a huge, huge, have taken a huge toll on my body. Thankfully, I have a great chiropractor. I have a wonderful massage therapist that helps me. And so uh, I, I, I sought alternative therapies. I've sought um, acupuncture to help with some of these things. Uh, but acupuncture is kind of hard, uh, a hard thing to deal with when you're um, very scared of needles. <laughs> so uh, so I, I, I try to get creative. Um, but it's an ongoing challenge. But hey, I always tell people um, when I give speeches that uh, life with a disability isn't easy, but life without a disability isn't easy either. And I always tell my kids to be your own superhero. Sometimes you have to be active in, in rescuing yourself because the world isn't going to always swoon in and, and save you. Uh, you have to kind of be your own superhero and, and take take action with, with your own challenges. Definitely. Now, can you share a little bit about what it is like being a special education teacher and what it's like for the kids to see you, you know, with your disabilities as a teacher? Great. Yeah. Um, so I have primarily, most of my time in special education has been at the elementary level. And so, um, Going back to the title of my new book, Tell Me Something Good, I, I took a training about 13 years ago uh, by this group that came into my district and talked about something called good things. And they were a huge, huge uh, proponent of teachers building relationships with kids. And one of the things they did was, was they taught me how to do something called good things, where at the beginning of every group, we go around the group and we, we actually talk about one good thing in our life. And, um, and I've been a, a huge, huge um, supporter of that idea, and I do it every day with every group. Um, and I even have this cheesy song since I'm an elementary teacher. I'll, I'll, I'll sing it for you. It goes, tell me something good. Woo-hoo! And so I do that at the beginning of every um, group. And it's just a, a, a time. It's kind of like a check-in just to kind of see where kids are at. And then also the an important idea behind it is that we all have something positive in our lives, right? Like, and, and focusing on the positive things. And, and, and it also helps build that relationship between me and kids. And uh, I've written several poems um, that involve me and my kids sharing good things. I actually printed out a, a poem from my upcoming book 
that is literally called "Tell Me Something Good," woohoo! Um, that I, I I I I would love to read later. Um, and uh, as far as like relationships with kids and uh, accepting my disability, kids are wonderful. At kids are so loving today, especially at the elementary level. Um, they're so understanding, and they see me. And they recognize that something is different about Mr. C, uh, but through my demeanor, through my personality, through my authenticity as someone who genuinely cares for them, um, because I don't have any kids, I'm not married, so so my students are my kids, right? And so um, through those things, they're able to identify with me. And I'm pretty open with my kids about, hey, Mr. C has a disability. And yet he was still able to go on and achieve and earn two master's degrees. He was still able to pub- get get two bu- books published. He was still able to go to college and become a special ed teacher. And he still comes to work and works for you guys. And so I, I always like to preach struggles and challenges, but also um, also equate those with strengths and talents that we all have. And so um, I always try to focus on the strengths and talents that my kids have as well, because my kids do struggle with reading and math, but yet they might be great singers or they might be great artists or they might be great people, loving people. And so... um, I just, I love what I do. I, I feel incredibly fortunate fortunate and blessed to be doing what I'm doing. I wouldn't trade it for the world. Um, the only thing that I um, could ever see myself doing um, in, its, in its place would be to be um, speaking more regularly um, to school districts, to companies, at conferences about the power of positive relationships. Um, because, like I said, because I have a disability, my kids are able to identify with me in, in unique ways. And I think that um, all kids need those relationship pieces, whether they're students with spe- in special education or not. And um, um, I, I had a really unique person in high school, when I was getting in a lot of fights and getting in a lot of trouble, I was um, I was designated to spend all my time, all my free class time, in the, the the in the detention center. And of all people, it was the lady at the detention center that built and formed a strong relationship with me. It was almost kind of like a motherly relationship. And her name was Mrs. Tracy, Tracy, and I'll never forget her because I grew to love her so much. And, and she provided such a motherly uh, instinct or, or rapport with me to where the next year when I wasn't supposed to go to detention, I still went anyways just to hang out with her. And she really was a, a big piece in me turning my life around, my behavior around as a high school kid. Right. And that kind of, you know, builds onto your, you know, you realize that this relationship was good, why other relationships are so important. I do want to share a little bit about kind of how you got into the book publishing process and then, you know, share some of your poems. Um, sure. Yeah. Um, so I was my undergrad degree was as what was in English. My bachelor's degree is in English and um when I first started getting in into my studies as an English major was right around the time I suffered the brain injury. And so my stuttering became very, very significant and impactful in my life. And so I, I started writing poems. I, I ha- had been writing, you know, rhyming poems at the time. Uh, but I really delved deeply, deeper into my writing because writing was my one outlet because I couldn't speak fluently. And so I began, I began writing at all hours of the night to get my, my emotions out to, as a form of catharsis, as a form of um, expressing myself intimately. Um, And 
So I'm pretty sure <laughs> that because I wrote a lot of cheesy love poems back then, that a lot of my fellow English majors kind of kind of had a running joke about Mark and his poems. However, through my through tutelage from my creative writing mentor and professor at the time, his name was David Kepiger, he urged me to start writing free verse poems because he said that the rhyming scheme scheme of the poems I was writing constricts what I want to say, and so he he advocated for me to try writing some free verse poems. And so I started writing free verse poems and I never really stopped. Um, even when, after I graduated, uh, I think like once a lot of people get out of school, they stop writing unless they go to an MFA program. Uh, I didn't need an MFA program. Um, not, not, not necessarily that I wouldn't have benefited from the education, but I didn't need a program to write. I took uh, classes as a degree plus student uh, just to kind of have a, a network of writers, but I was writing um, 15 to 20 poems a month probably. Um, I, I, I seem to recall there was a three-month span where I wrote something like cl close to 100 poems. And, and a lot of them might not have been very good, but, but I'm a firm believer that sometimes you have to write the bad poems to get to the good poems. And so I started um, putting together a manuscript about, about 12, 10 years ago, 12 to, 12 to 10 years ago, and I was shopping it and shopping it. And, of course, during the time I began teaching, and so a lot of my poems evolved from relationship poems to poems about my students and my teaching experiences. And I really think that's where my poems and, and my writing is at its best when I'm focusing on others and, and my relationships and, and the experiences I have with my students. And so um, as the years went on, uh, about five, six years ago, I had a a manuscript that had evolved and evolved and evolved. And I was almost very close to self-publishing. And then on New Year's Eve one night, I said, well, I'm going to send it to this publisher one more time because I had sent them various versions of this manuscript and they had declined it. But I said, I'm going to send it to this publisher one more time. And if I don't hear from them, I'm just going to self-publish. Well, a few months later, I heard from them, and they wanted to publish the collection, um, the the collection which uh, was called Fingerprints, and I have a copy of it here um, that that I like like to read a poem from. Um, but Fingerprints, the the premise behind Fingerprints is that um, there there's a set of lines in in one of the poems that, that go like this: "You scar your way, I'll scar mine. Recovery is its own fingerprint." And so the poems in this collection are about afflictions, whether they're spiritual, physical, emotional, mental. And um, they involve a lot of poems about my mom, a lot of poems about my teaching experiences, and a lot of poems about my challenges with disabilities and mental health, and, um, and, and, and as well as my brain injury. And so... Um, the, the idea, the notion behind the book is that just as our, these injuries and these afflictions are unique, so is everyone's recovery to these uh, injuries and afflictions because what might be traumatic for me might not be traumatic for you or, or might not be traumatic for my best friend, but our recovery in, the, in overcoming these challenges is so unique and um, and like a fingerprint. So um, I'd love to read a couple poems if you don't mind. Yeah, go right ahead. Okay, so the first poem I'm going to read is um, called More Than a Disability. It was inspired by this student I had my second year who had a stutter, um, who had a significant stutter. And uh, I was just kind of getting over mine at the time. And so I wrote this um, as, a, as a tribute to our relationship and, and this, this student. It's called More Than a Disability for Alyssa. 
You're standing next to me, trying to get out of your words, trying them on like new clothes that don't quite fit. You're stretching your sounds, filling in extra words that start rhythm to the sound zone. A big breath in, I wait, keeping eye contact so you won't feel nervous or think I'm going to finish your sentence. I want to hear it from you. Fit. Dear forgiveness, life is not fair. People are not fair. There are some who will wait on you like the wind waits on goodbyes, and some who will try and speak for you, birds carrying seed, seed not their own. Don't let the mockers stem you, a flower with tried roots. Remember, beauty is a silk scarf, roughing the rocks. Stay soft, the wind will tell you when. At recess, you run around in your green shoelaces, giving your friends the playground poke. Sometimes a boy pushes you on the swing, your arms letting go like a fire-taking spirit saying higher, a two-teeth grin pursing your stutter. And even when you accidentally kick that boy, he still swings you. He still looks down when he tells you secrets, his hands in his pockets, the twitch of time, holding a sweat only he cares, getting you like vision through glass. Forgiveness, were I able to shell that stutter out of your reach and into mine, I would not say another word. I would take a likely breath and watch you speak to that boy like those new clothes finally fit. But can't doesn't, doesn't play fair. It doesn't make things happen the way we pray why. So instead, I'll just stand here waiting for you to tell me that kid who laughed at you at lunch is the same kid you helped during math. When it's you that gives the morning its sake. It's not how you say it, but what you say. Thanks for filling my skies. That's very beautiful. And I think you can hear, you know, kind of the story of your own along with more of the, like, the actuality of like child on playground. This is, you know, your student. Um, I think it's the teacher who told you go for free verse uh, had the right idea. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Yeah, uh, that that's that's probably one of my favorite poems in the book, if not my favorite poem in the book. I I, I read that poem very often. Um, the first section of poems is is just about my teaching experiences, and I think that's that's up there with the best of them. And so then is this, um, the upcoming book, Tell Me Something Good, is that your second book? Yes, that's my second book. Yes, yes. And so, so um, I, I did a lot of writing during the pandemic. And so um, this book came out in 2018, at the end of 2018. And so uh, from then on, I started writing because I had this one great poem that I really liked, that I really loved at the time, that I was disappointed didn't make it into this book because I, I didn't find it. It was an older poem, but I didn't find it until later. So I thought, well, maybe I'll, maybe that's enough inspiration or motivation to, to work on a second book. And so I started writing and writing and writing. And then the pandemic happened and um, just being isolated, being a single guy, um, I, I was able to really delve deep deeply into the online teaching format and my experiences with that and, um, and as well as some of my own challenges with my Tourette's and, and, um, and my brain injury and, and some of the comorbid disorders that go along with that. And, um, and not only that, but trying, trying to go back into like, like this po this book fingerprints has a lot of poems about my mom and I, and, and this new book has a lot of more poems about my dad. And so it's just really kind of focusing on those two different relationships. And, and again, um, just, you know, looking at them through a lens of forgiveness, you know, um, which, which has been tough. It's been tough. Um, and, and there were, there, there are a lot of dream poems in this new book. 
um, about some pretty traumatic things that I endured as a kid. And um, so it's, it's definitely been very therapeutic, but at the same time, I felt like it, it's unearthed a lot of, um, a lot of challenges in my life. Um, and I guess people will just have to read it to, to see what I'm talking about. Right. Did you want to share a poem from your second book? I did. I did. So I have a poem about a student that I was his teacher for three years. And this is about um, the first two years we worked together. His name is Vance. And Vance has muscular dystrophy and autism. And he is a 10-year-old boy. And... uh, um, there's, um, something that I'd like to mention is, a there's a campaign, um, a fundraising campaign going on that I've been helping his family with, uh, to get him a Trexo, which is an adaptive robotic device that will actually enable him to walk again. And so Vance, Vance remembers what it felt like to walk. He's, he stopped walking shortly before his fourth birthday. And so he remembers what it felt like to walk. And um, could you imagine, I mean, remembering what it's like to walk and then you're, you know, all of a sudden, bam, you're not walking. And then also on top of that, like, you have to rely on all this adaptive equipment just to, to live your life, Right. And, and, and at school, he uses a stander, he uses a wheelchair, he wears a, an arm brace to keep his arm from going uh, too straight. And so this poor little guy, um, this, this poem was, is really near and dear to my heart. I'm going to try not to over talk it because I, I should let the poem just stand for itself. But he's a very special guy. And I guess what I want to say is, is, I've dead I'm dedicating all my speaker fees for any speeches I give for this year to his fundraising campaign to help him buy help his family purchase his Trexo. So if anyone's ever interested in me speaking for them, uh, know that whatever speaker fee we agreed to is going to a good cause. So this is called Tell Me Something Good Woohoo to Vance Davis, who will change your world someday. I know, because you've already changed mine. The first time we met was through a Zoom meeting, your two front teeth tabbing your smile as you shrugged your shoulders tough, your eyes ballooning to meet your first male teacher, which you had long wanted. We're going to do something called Good Things, where we talk about one good thing in our life. Ready? What's your good thing, Vance? And as the months of the COVID-19 pandemic fevered through schools, we were both staying safe through remote learning, where I would share my screen to have you read sentences adapted from the reading curriculum. Mr. C is sad because he does not have hair on his head, you read. Don't be sad, Mr. C. You're perfect just the way you are, you ordained, woke sapiens, surging as you surveyed my nervous tics. In front of every disability is a person working hard just to level the playing field. No, Vance, you're the perfect one. You're perfect like a hand reaching to forgive because you don't let your Ulrich congenital muscular dystrophy or autism keep you from living your life like a blank check, the maker and auditor is somehow leaving I quit in the shadows indemnified. You love as a love should, and you never let your physical challenges sully your aplomb. A spoonful of honesty people couldn't buy, even if they tried. Can you tell me a joke, Mr. C? What's Barbie's favorite state? What? Kentucky. The next school year, we were both in person again and I transferred to your school. When you first saw me in the hallway, you asked me to pull down my mask and you remembered all the virtual high fives over Zoom. I told you we were going to work again and you were so happy you told the other SPED teacher, I love Mr. C.
the other spread teachers soliciting, what about me, Vance? Don't you love me? Your eyes triangling up to, at him. Uh, just Mr. C. And we read about Ping Pong Pig fixing the farm, why Sophie shouldn't get angry, and reverence about the new Sonic the Hedgehog movie, in between you asking me to lower your standard. My legs hurt. But before every lesson, you'd sing our song. Tell me something good. Woo-hoo! And wait for me to tell mine. As Christmas break approached, I couldn't bring myself to tell you that I'd resigned from the school district. I caterpillared past you in the hallway while your brigade of support was strapping you, you into your standard. The belts, buckles, and Velcro alchemizing agitation from Amity. And I wanted to pretend you weren't clapping at my soul as you cried, I just want to walk again. Your words aggregating between the deified symmetry of happen chance and must. Every minute's a new minute. I kept walking back to my classroom, my eyelid toiled to a twitch, neck ticks insurrecting, my cognition disordered from clonopin withdrawal insomnia. I said a prayer, abled by the chaired looks of everyone that meets your glow with grow that the world would look at you and witness the road genius of perseverance, apex with the thunder of now. All along, my real good thing was that I got to be your teacher and that I can never feel sorry for myself again. You are the butterfly of souls. And so how, like, you know, throughout the pandemic and difficult times and everything you've had to come, like overcome, how is it that, you know, kind of every day you can have one good thing? Um, well, to be honest with you, typically my good thing every day is that I'm, I'm with my kids, honestly, because because the good thing is uh, it's a joint effort. Right. Like I, I, I make them sure a good thing, but I share a good thing as well. And so my good thing usually typically is that um, I'm there with my students who I love. Um, and um, and and I think like I always sometimes a student says something sad that they have a sad thing. And I always listen to that, but I also redirect after they say those things and say, okay, let's focus on a good thing now. Let's focus on one good thing. Maybe it's that you're having a good day. Maybe it's that you're here with friends. Maybe it's that, uh, that it's the weekend coming up. Maybe it's that you have a good mom or a good dad or a good teacher. And, and I know like, like as a single guy during the pandemic, a lot of good things that I had were that I had good friends because I don't have um, family very close to me, uh, but I have a lot of friends that I've had for 15, 20, 25 years that are my family. And so I'm thankful for, for my friends that are like my family. I'm thankful for the ability to write poems. I'm feeling thankful for the ability to share my message at conferences and to organizations about overcoming disabilities and, and the power of positive relationships. But more than anything, I'm thankful for, for my career in, in helping and, 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 and empowering and, and teaching kids with disabilities to be good humans. And so are you still actively teaching? Yes, yes, I am. I wasn't sure because like in the poem you had resigned and um, have you changed teaching jobs a lot or have you kind of been like sticking with the same places? Um, I, I've been in three school districts throughout my career. Um, uh, my first school I was at for five years. My second school I was at for four years. And then I came back to Pueblo because I wanted to work in Pueblo. And then um, I did do a little jumping around between schools. Um, I'm currently at um, a middle school and high school, online online middle school and high school. Um, and so, you know, um, sometimes, unfortunately, like like the world of education is so difficult. Right? And it, it's, 
it's been so stressful with the pandemic and everything. And um, I think like, like it's just become so stressful. And a lot of times it's tough to find a good fit. And so I did resign from this school district because at the time I was dealing with some medication changes that were impacting my life. And so I, I decided to, to take a break. I was in a, um, financially, I was in a place where I could take a, a break. And so I took the second half of the school year off, uh, but then I actually returned to the same school district. Um, and so, um, y- you know, um, I wish I could say it's easy being, uh, being a male with disabilities in, in an elementary school, but, um, even though 80 to 90% of those people that I work, that I've worked with over, over my career have been great. Um, sadly, some, some people have been very difficult, um, to, to work with. Um, and, and sometimes there's, there's been things that have impacted kids. And so, um, when I get to a school that I'm where I'm having a hard time, like that's one thing. But when I get to a school that is not doing right by kids with high needs or, or, or kids with disabilities in general, um, then, then sometimes I kind of have to have to push back a little bit and say, Hey, um, not, not, not necessarily just quit and go somewhere else, but I have to take a stand for those kids. And then I have to, um, find a, a place that's, that's going to be aligned. That's going to have ethical and philosophical, um, approaches to kids with disabilities that align with mine. And so um, that's kind of what I've dealt with throughout my career a couple times. Um, and again, like I say that regretfully and sadly, because um, at schools, it's never the kids that make the job hard. The kids I have answers for, the, the people that I don't always have answers for are, are the adults. Um, and so um, I, I always keep uh, my purview the, I always keep the purview of I'm there for kids and I'm going to do what's best for kids. Um, and if that results in me needing to move on, then so be it. Uh, but but I, I always do what's best for kids first. So. Yes, and I appreciate you sharing that here. Now, before I start to wrap things up, is there anything else you would like to share with the listeners? Um, I just like to uh, share my website in case anyone is interested in me speaking. Um, and there's also a link to my book on there. Um, my website is www.teacherwithtourettes.com. Um, hopefully I can send that to you and maybe you can share it in the show, show notes. Um, and I'm, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm actively, um, that, I'm actively um, looking to give speeches to share my message about overcoming disabilities and social biases of disabilities and not only just disabilities, but diversity in general. Right. And then um, also the power of positive relationships, which I think is so key in the world today. Um, I, I don't know where this happened, but some, some, some t- where along the way we got off, a lot of people start stopped treating people like people, and, and and I think I think those things are so important in the world today to remember that we're we're all we're all dealing with our own adversities, right? And we just need to be kind, and that's what I what I teach my kids is just above all else, be kind to one another, because you never know what's going on in someone else's life, um, and so. If anyone's interested, um, I have videos on my website. I have testimonials. I have a link to my book. Um, feel free to subscribe to my mailing list. And um, my overall mantra for my classroom is always believe that you can make a difference, but never let your differences keep you from what you believe. And I preach that and teach that to my students on a daily basis. That's definitely a great mantra. 
And at the end of all my episodes, I do ask my guests a random question that doesn't have to do with what we've been talking about. So my question for you is, are you usually early or late? Um, both. <laughs> um, for many, many years, I'm usually late. But um, recently, I'd say recently, as in the last two or three months, I've been dealing with a lot of insomnia. And so if I'm not going to sleep, I get up early and make it to school early anyway. So uh, it kind of depends on, on, on the day and, and, and the week, to be honest with you, and how I slept. So it, it could be either or. All right, that brings this episode to a close. Of course, I will be leaving Mark's website in the description. That was teacherwithtourettes.com. So that'll be right there if you'd like to go check out that link. And I'll also be leaving a link to the GoFundMe for Vance that Mark mentioned as well. So if you would like to support that directly, you can do that. It'll be in the description. And of course, if you would like to connect with the podcast, our website is also in the description. That brings you to all past episodes, all past resources and social media. And it brings you to our social media. We are on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. So if you'd like to go follow us there, feel free to do that. And if you would like to be a guest on the show, feel free to send me an email. Or if you'd like to support the podcast monetarily, there is a link to do that in the description as well. So thank you so much, Mark, for spending time with me today. And to my listeners for taking the time out of your day to hear a new story. Until next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much. Bye.